We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's give them a hand. And so then Doug... No, just kidding. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we, sorry, Doug. Come on over. Come closer. Don't be afraid. All right. <laughs> Doug and I are actually going to be yep. co-teaching today. So yep. I'm looking forward to it. And we're, we're talking about how the Bible is authority. Last week we talked about the Bible is trustworthy. This week how the Bible is the authority in our lives. That's right. And you guys are in luck because as Eric and I were preparing for this message... Yeah. Uh, this morning we found an article that pretty much hits all of the major things we need to know. So we're just going to read this article, and I think it'll be a good way to start. What do you think? To start yeah, the yeah, whole yeah, morning, yeah, yeah. Check this out. It's, yeah. uh, it's a new product that uh, we've got for sale by Zondervan. It's yeah. called the Choose Your Own Adventure Bible. It's pretty cool. And, yeah. you know, if you've read, like, a Choose Your Own Adventure book where you choose how you want to, you know, the book to go or yeah. end, uh, it says this. This is one of the little clips about it. It says, boasting over 300 different endings... The Choose Your Own Adventure Bible allows readers to guide and change the narrative through all its various twists and turns to shape the Bible's theology to their own tastes, biases, and prejudices. Nice. There you go. You, yeah. can, read, you can read that all year over 300 endings. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Whatever you know? mood you're in or exactly. kind of whatever you feel yeah. like, or beliefs that you might have. Totally. There was an endorsement that said, in the past, Bible readers were just reading some boring story about Hebrew men and women that were really difficult to relate to. Mm. Now the Bible is finally all about you. Really? So, yes. Good. It's really right? what we've been lacking this whole time, right? Is yeah. It just mean about us. Because yeah. it's like, yeah, the Bible is authority in our lives, yeah. so it's just yeah. kind of nice if the authority is whatever we want. Totally. Um, and then the, one more, one more. It said this, uh, the Choose Your Own Adventure Bible is already a runaway success, selling over 4 million copies. Uh, Zondervan announced that they'll slowly be phasing out the old boring versions of the Bible that don't cater to reader preferences. Finally, so, yeah. yes. Finally, you yeah. know? Oh, it's I like so that. great. Yeah. Eric, is that a real article or... <laughs> Is that a real question? <laughs> uh, no, so that's obviously a fake, uh, fake article. It's from a satire, a Christian satire website called the Babylon Bee. And it's pretty funny, but, but the whole thing with satire is that it's supposed to be funny, but it's also making a point or kind of jabbing at something that has a little bit of reality involved in it as well. And so that's where I think some of what we see with this whole uh, Choose Your Own Adventure Bible is like, hey, we actually approach often when we think about the Bible as an authority, authority in our lives, we think, well, how can I choose and pick the things I would like for that to be an authority about? And that's what we can't do. And that's what we want to talk about today is that if this book, as we have said even last week and over the course of history here at Calvary Church, this book, the Bible, is the very voice of God. It is the word of God to us as people. And if we are then to read it and to answer the biggest questions and pattern our lives after what it would say, and we teach from it each week, then we have to be willing to submit to what it would say, to surrender ourselves to that authority. I encourage you, if you have not yet, grab the, uh, the outline that's in your bulletins, okay? If you've, if you've got that, you're going to use it today. I'm going to explain a lot of things about it as we go, especially its length. But uh, you'll see on the top, just again, a, a way to consider what is your level of surrender to the authority of the Bible, and it could be that you don't trust the Bible, so you don't surrender to it, right? So you, you still don't trust it. encourage you to investigate that then. Or maybe you trust it, but you don't give it authority in your life. Okay, if you believe this is God's word, but you don't submit to it, there's probably a problem. Maybe you trust the Bible, and you do give it authority. But also you could trust the Bible, but not really understand 
how you would give it authority in your life. And it, it's those sorts of questions that we want to get into or consideration. So we want to answer some of the why and some of the how that the Bible is an authority in our lives. Absolutely. So we'll start with talking about why does the Bible have authority in our life? So you have to ask yourself the question, and let's start for us by looking at authority. What does it mean for something to even have authority in your life? What does it mean, well, what does authority even mean? So let's start there. We'll start, that'll be our groundwork, and we'll build up a, a reason why the Bible is extremely authoritative and is something that we have to pay attention to in our lives. So let's talk about authority. For something to have authority, that means it has a power to affect your life. Because of what it is, and because of the situation, it has an effect, a great effect, on your life and how you live out your everyday life, right? So, for us, when we think about the things that have authority in our life, we see, and I see, in our world, our culture today, that we oftentimes greatly misuse and misunderstand what authority means. And what I mean by that is this. Oftentimes we give authority to things that have no power in our lives whatsoever. But we give these things great authority to affect us on an everyday level, right? So you take something like a celebrity or a magazine or an Instagram account or whatever it is, and you put so much authority in this, like, say, celebrity's life that now they are affecting you every day. They dictate the way you talk, the way you dress, the way you do everything, right? You've given authority to something that is totally off, and we are misunderstanding what it means to have authority. Or maybe... Something has taken authority in your life, and you didn't want it to, but out of fear, you have given, and, and there's been an authoritative transfer, right, to somebody, and they are now speaking into your life and affecting you every day, but the whole thing is based on fear and based on power and, and a, an aggression, right? And someone has put themselves in a position in your life that you don't want them to be there, and it's an unhealthy thing, and we misuse authority often. And the other one is this. Authority is earned, but it's earned on a really bizarre basis, right? We give someone and somebody earns authority in our life, but it's mainly surrounded by our personal preferences and what they do for us, right? Maybe you have like a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they've earned all this authority in your life, but they are not in a position to have power in your life because maybe it's an unhealthy thing. Or you have these relationships that develop and out of them there's a lot of authority happening, but again, we've misunderstood, we've misused authority, right? So we have to ask ourselves, how do we recover when our idea of authority when we approach something like the Bible, right? So if we say the Bible has authority in your life, and you're like, okay, why, right? And you have these thoughts of authority in your mind, maybe we're going to be lost. So let's start like this. I think one thing that can help us in solving this problem of how we approach the Bible and why it has authority, is we need to approach the Bible with the correct questions, okay? The correct questions. I think a lot of times we live our lives with the question, and the questions that we have are all very personal. They're minute details about our personal lives, which are good. The Bible speaks to those things, but we think that we're at the center of the universe, asking only questions that have to do with me. What do I get out of the situation? And we're like the people who would, you know, make up that article that says, finally, I just want to choose your own adventure Bible, right? 
But no, we need to approach the Bible with questions that have been asked for centuries, for thousands of years. Big, and if you know me, philosophical questions that I love, right? Questions like, what is, what is this right now? I mean, that's like a, the most bizarre, awkward, philosophical question, right? But you walk outside and you think, what is all of this? What is the earth? What is existence? What is reality? What is happening here? Where did all of these trees, these roads, where did all this stuff come from? And then maybe a deeper question is, well, where did I come from? And not just the biological explanation, like what sort of thing am I? Is there something that created all of this? Is that thing God? Am I like God? Can I be in relationship with God? Does God know who I am? These big questions about life. When we have these questions, when we're searching for who has the power to answer these questions, the Bible becomes the most authoritative thing in the whole world. Now, if you have a Bible and you have your bulletin, open it up to Genesis 1, okay? In Genesis 1, we're going to find an answer to one of our huge philosophical questions right off the bat. One of these questions that is going to help make sense of the world, and it's going to do something when it comes to authority, okay? If you go to Genesis 1, it's right after all that other stuff. It doesn't matter. Um, this Bible was actually made by Zondervan. That's kind of funny. I promise it's not the Choose Your Own Adventure Bible. Um, it says this in Genesis 1.1. Now, before I even read it, keep in mind, we're not approaching the... What, the way we're approaching the Bible is with a deep longing and a desire to answer the big philosophical questions, the big questions of life, the big, why are we here? What's going on with my life? And what sort of thing am I? What sort of thing is God? How did we all get here? And if you think back, these are the kinds of questions that the ancient Israelites had. The, the people who lived in the ancient Near East, in the world at that time, were, were desperately seeking answers what is this? What happens when it's raining? What is happening when it's raining? What we're experiencing in this earth, somebody help make sense of it. And then you have this, a clear, decisive word from the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There you go, right? Something with always, you always hear people say, in the beginning, God, right? And you're like, okay, why is that impactful? That is impactful because if you are wondering if there is a God, if you are wondering how we all got here in the first opening lines of the Bible, in the first opening description of what's happening with this, you have God, which means there is a God. And it also means that he existed prior to there being things. The second line, God created. God is the the type of God which brings things into existence. You have authority given to God in the opening line of the Bible. Why? Because he is where the power resides. Why does he have power? Because he existed before us, which means he's the type of thing that can exist before all of this. He's also the type of thing which could bring this into existence. You have to give him authority based on who he is described in the first sentences of the Bible. Move forward. Exodus. You wonder, okay, what type of God is this? If this God does exist and he is authoritative and he has authority, well, what kind of God is he? Is he going to be the kind of God that talks to us? Is he going to be the kind of God that even cares about us, wants to know us? Is he going to tell us anything? Exodus 20. 
Then God spoke. Oh my gosh. God is the type of God who speaks. All these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God is the type of God who cares about people, who doesn't want people to be enslaved, who makes miracles happen to bring people where he wants them to be. And then at that point, God gives them a command. God is the type of God who's going to give out commands and tell us what to do. And what he wants us to do is have no other gods before him. Why? Because he is where the power resides. He is authority. And in him, we have someone who's worthy to have authority in our lives. Is this making sense? You're following along? Yes? Perfect. Now, we're going to fast forward real far here, and we're going to go to Matthew. Go to Matthew 28. Because if God is the God who has authority, then something very interesting is going to happen in Matthew 28. To catch you up with the story, God, having all authority, wants to be with us. He's a type of God who wants to be with us. That's who he is. It's part of his character, is that he's loving. And in doing so, he has to make a way for us to be with him. And our way to be with him is that Jesus, the Son of God, will come and be a sacrifice for us. And in doing so, in our belief, in our faith in him, we have the opportunity to be in relationship with him. Now Jesus is going to be a very important part of this whole entire story. And if you see in Matthew 28, what's going to happen is, is Jesus is going to be our, our sacrifice in that he's going to actually die. And when he comes back to life, something's going to happen. He's going to say something that's going to directly affect your life. And it's going to be the why of the why the Bible is important. Why does the Bible have authority? Because its main character is God. And, the, and God sent his son to die for us so that we can be in relationship with him. And when that son came back to life, when Jesus came back to life, he says to his disciples in Matthew 28, 18, he says this, and Jesus came up and spoke to them and said this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If Jesus says this, all authority has been given to me, and I am with you to the end of the age, no matter what happens in between those two sentences, you know that you can do it, because all authority has been given to him. If he commands you to do something, and he says, I'll be with you, then you can do it. That you can do it is that you can make disciples, and you can make disciples of disciples, and you can share the love of Jesus. Why the Bible is important, why it has authority, is because it speaks of God and it speaks of Jesus. And what Jesus is calling you to do, and we'll, is, well, go, go to Titus, and it's a little harder to find, Titus 2, but what Jesus is calling us to do is to be about him, to have the same type of authority he has when we talk to people. And in Titus 2, about halfway through verse 13, I'll read this for you. It says this, our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So we have power to speak about Jesus with authority. And the things of Jesus, the things that Jesus care about and taught about, have authority in our life because he is the one who has authority. 
If Jesus is the one who has authority, then his commandments are the things that we should speak authoritatively about, and they're the things that should affect us the most. Let me, cl- let me clarify and let me give you an object lesson. Sound good? Does everyone see this piece of wood? If you can't, then we have serious problems. But do you see this piece of wood? Yes? Yeah? Tracking with me? Okay. Here's how we generally approach the situation, right? We want to apply the authority of the Bible as if you can take authority and kind of just put it in the certain places that you want, right? I'll put some over here, some over there. And it's as if we're just taking the authority of the Bible and we're painting it on certain things, right? Some things we care more about, other things, to be honest, we care less about, right? So you take authority and you're like, let's talk about Mm, sexuality and addiction. Those are things that we really care about, really bad things. You know what? The Bible says a lot about that authority, right? So I'm really going to just, we're going to, I got a lot to say about that. Don't you worry. We're going to cover that one. I got all of our spots covered right there, right? And then the Bible goes on to talk about wealth. Well, Bible has a lot to say about wealth. And we're like, yeah, that one's good. Yeah, we'll put it right here. There you go. That's good. That's all we need to talk about that, right? No, it really talks a lot about wealth. Yeah, I got it right there. We're good. Okay. Don't worry about it. It's running a little bit. Uh, don't worry. Um, and we, we kind of only apply a little bit of the authority when it comes to our wealth. And then the Bible says, go out and make disciples. Be loving towards one another. And we're like, yes, I agree. But some of my neighbors are really annoying. So I'm going to be really careful here. I'm going to go there. And some over here. What about this whole area here? Don't worry. Don't worry. Not going to go there. Just going to go right here, right? Boom. Done. Got it. And then the Bible even goes even further, right? It says to lay your life down for your friends, right? To truly love people and make disciples of them. And we're like, totally, I got it. Right there. Wherever it landed, that's good. We're good, right? Don't need to go any more into that. And we are applying authority as if it's something we can take and put in different spots. It's not the way Jesus called us to live, right? Instead, what Jesus called us to do and the way that he called us to live is for authority to be something that transforms us based on who God is, based on who Jesus is. So he says, it's like stain. You take the stain, and as stain goes onto this piece of wood, it will change it forever, right? It will soak into it and change it, and it will now be a different thing. It's not that it's applied on top. It's that it's actually soaking in and becoming something different. And as you pour stain all the way down this thing, right? It changes it. It's no longer just what it was. It becomes something different. And it's not that we're applying it on top and thinking, yeah, well, we're still the same thing underneath. Nothing of myself has really changed. No. What's happening instead is that stain is soaking in. It's changing the thing. It's transforming it. So, the Bible has authority. Why? Because it tells us about God. And God is the one who has authority. And the story of God is that he's redeeming us. And all authority has been given to Jesus. And what Jesus is calling you to do is to be transformed. It's to change who you are from the core. So that when things approach you in life, like sexuality, like wealth, like being loving, those things will just happen out of who you are. You won't need to apply authority. Authority will have transformed you already. That's why the Bible is important. That's why it has authority. But then the the question naturally comes up, how on earth does it have authority? Because there's a lot of words in there. Which parts have it and how does it work? Exactly. You you might agree that the Bible has authority, but you think, 
how am I supposed to do this? Like, how do I do this? I open the Bible, I read 1 Kings 8 or some random passage, and I'm reading it and I'm just thinking, ah, I don't get this. Lord, this is hard. How, how am I supposed to do this? And so we have to understand that, that authority is to be understood through the different approaches that each genre of literature speaks in the Bible. So let me explain that a bit, okay? Because there's different types of writings in the Bible. There's all these different genres, and, and each of them is authoritative, okay? It's all authoritative. However, that authority is expressed in different ways. And so you need to read the Bible appropriately for the context and the kind of writing that is taking place within that time. And then even before that, you have to recognize that the whole Bible is one message. We have to think of the whole Bible as even one story. And it's the story of Jesus. It's the story of God. And, and as we see that, then we're able to kind of recognize that there's one grand message being told. But we also have all of these sort of sub, subtexts as, as well within it. And so grab, again, your outline. If you haven't yet, I really seriously encourage you. And we want you to have this. And even if you didn't get one when you came in, grab one on your way out. Because what we have for you today with this is, is kind of a tool, really, that we want you to be able to use. And uh, what we want you to do is to look at all of these, and you can see the different uh, genres listed out, okay? So you see OT, historical narrative, law, Psalms, Proverbs, and, and so on. And on the back, it has more. And what I'd love for you to be able to do is that when we're done talking about this, you could fold this up and keep it in the back of your Bible and refer to it when you go to read a certain part of Scripture. So let me show you what we're talking about a little bit more. Uh, as you look at this, let's look at the very first one, and it's Old Testament historical narrative. All right, so what in the world am I saying with that word? It's like these are the, the histories and the stories, the true stories that take place in the Bible. But as you see in the notes, it explains some, uh, uh, gives you examples on each genre of what book that you're talking about. So examples of OT historical narrative are Genesis, most of Exodus, most of Numbers, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and so on. Okay, and it shows you a bunch of uh, uh, different uh, books of the Bible that are these historical narratives. And, <clears throat> and what this thing also does, this resource, which by the way is from Walt Russell, who wrote a book called Playing with Fire and is a, a professor at Biola and Talbot School of Theology. And uh, this is really good stuff. But he's, he shows you what the primary contribution and the secondary contribution is of that specific type of writing. Okay? So here on OT Historical Narrative, it says primary contribution. To inform and shape our worldview about the eternal plan that God is working out universally in human history. And also to underscore our continuity with the children of Israel as the people of God. And so it gives that, that statement, but then it says, therefore ask. So as you're going to go read this, ask, what does this passage tell us about God, the hero, his plan, or the role that his people should be playing in his plan? And how do these stories point to Jesus and the need for a redeemer? Then, if you see, it also says secondary contribution. So that's the most important thing is the, the big God story, which we'll talk about more in a second. But the secondary is to give us positive and negative models of old covenant believers making choices to trust God. And so we'd ask, what positive, what positive or negative model might this passage be setting before us to teach us about trusting God in the midst of his plan? 
And what happens is often when we read the Old Testament, we'll read that, we'll find that secondary thing and we put that first. Like, oh, what can I learn about this person's life? Uh, What were the choices that David made and, you know, the bad choices that he made and the good choices? And I'm going to, I'm going to learn about how to make good choices in my life. And that's okay. That's a good thing. But that's secondary to the big, uh, what we call within children's ministries and and above, uh, we call the big God story. And we show kids this timeline. And it's a timeline that goes through really from, from Adam and Eve, from in the beginning God, right, all the way through to our future with Jesus. And it helps us to see that the Bible is one story and that the Bible uh, is speaking about one big idea, really, as we go through creation to the fall, to the flood, to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel, these chosen people of God who this salvation story is unfolding through them and, and then God showing these covenants that he made with, with them. And then there's this slavery in Egypt for 400 years and then God sends a deliverer, Moses, who delivers them from their bondage. Again, all of this stuff pointing to Jesus, our need for a deliverer and a redeemer. And then God uh, frees them. They are delivered. They go into the desert. They're given the law. And then they, uh, they go out and they finally get into the promised land. They're in the promised land and then they've got judges ruling them. Then they want a king and you've got this period of kings. And then the, there's, there's conflict and the kingdom is divided. And then actually then the kingdom is taken away by enemies and they're in exile in other countries. Finally, they return to Israel. But when they do, we have a period of 400 years of silence. And the silence is broken by the birth of Jesus. And Jesus comes, God in the flesh, and shows us his life and, and shows us what the kingdom looks like and shows us what, uh, and then his, his whole, the, his death and his resurrection. And he comes forth in power and then he leaves but gives us that great commission that Doug was reading to us. And then the Holy Spirit's given and we see how the church begins. And then Jesus is made great in in the world. And then we have us here today. And then there'll be a future in the book of Revelation that we read about in other apocalyptic literature in the Bible where we have this hope for a future in a new heaven and a new earth. And that's that big story, right? To recognize that's all one big story and not just get lost in, in rules and principles and single, and single uh, biographies. So we have to remember that. And so those are important things to remember as you're reading through that. Well, then, you know, you might read the law. I'm not going to go into all of these, of all the different contributions, but you can read there in your notes uh, what, what that's supposed to be. The Psalms, the Proverbs, the prophets, the gospels, as they share the story of Jesus and his kingdom, the acts of the apostles, and then <clears throat> the epistles. And, and then we get finally then into the book of Revelation. And it's, you have to look, like, so if you look at the Psalms, and he talks there uh, in, in these notes, in the Psalms, it says it's to model what a God-centered view of life is like through expressions of worship and prayer and the way believers may express their deepest needs, pains, and concerns to God in passionate prayer and worship. And it goes on, but man, the Psalms are so great to be able to give us um, sort of language for our emotions or our frustrations and our anger even at times with God. Because we could go over to the epistles 
and we read the epistles and we might think that, man, all my prayers have to be just perfect, you know? We read the prayers that sometimes are listed in those, those letters and it's, man, it's this perfect language and it doesn't feel like these people have problems. And then he's like, oh, thank you, Lord, though, for the Psalms where David's just frustrated and angry and, and he's robbed and then it leads him to worship of God. And there's so much going on within these different genres and that we have to look at them differently and that they bring a, a different contribution to the authority of God. Okay? So I want you, I think that this could be a great tool that you would say, all right, well, I'm going to read First Timothy. Okay, well, let me read then. What am I supposed to ask myself? So I, I read this primary contribution and then I, you know, okay, to teach, exhort, and model our identity as the church and how are we are to live in the community of God's people. And so I'm reading that and, and with whatever place this is and what kind of questions I should be asking as I read that. Um, and so all of that, with so many differences, right, they, they all speak authoritatively. All of these different genres of Scripture all speak authoritatively, but they speak authoritatively in different ways, very specific ways. So we have to look at it that way. Yeah, absolutely. I know for me in my life, thinking about the Bible, being authoritative in my life, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, loving God and being a loving person towards the people around me is a huge part of it. And I'll be honest, how does that look like in my life? I'll give you two examples. One of them is kind of silly and ridiculous. One of them is very real. Uh, I, go, I like to go surfing. I went surfing yesterday, and I always cannot stand it when people take surfing way too seriously. Like if you're in their way and they get mad at you or they say something to you, it's, everything inside of me wells up and I get angry. And I went surfing yesterday with my dad and there was people who were like getting angry at people being in the way. They even, you know, they're, they're saying mean things to people and everything inside of me is like, why are you doing that? I just want to be so mean back. But then the authority of the scripture in my life, the authority of the Bible in my life says, no, you need to have a loving heart because there's reasons for these people to act this way, and you have to be compassionate, and it's so hard for me. Another more serious one, right, is that uh, for us, my wife and I, we care a lot about adoption, and we care a lot about people who are in crisis situations, and we've adopted a child, right? And we care about them. We care about the people who are in these situations, and it can be incredibly hard um, to dive into lives that are totally different than our own, but it's something that we do so uh, gladly because— why? Because God has called us to do something more than just apply, you know, love when we feel like it. But it's something that's transformed us. And it's something that we have to go out and live that out every day with every single people, person and people that we meet. So for me, in my life, that's how authority looks. And it's something that's hard for me, applying that idea of love and being transformed by it. Yeah, and, and I think for me as well, I, I have some different ways that I know I've experienced uh, submitting to the authority of Christ. And I think, first of all, for me, it's been that understanding of it as this one big story of Jesus. Like, I think for me, my, my nature, even as a little kid, was to be a rule follower of sorts, you know? Uh, I might have worn off over time, but, uh, <laughs> but, but like where it's comfortable just to just go to the rules, right? Let me find the rules, give me my guidelines, and I'll be safe within them, right? And that's, that's easy for me. But to step back and say, okay, the Bible is more than just a book of rules. The Bible is telling the story of Jesus and doing something far greater. That's something I have to remind myself. I also have to like, struggle often with 
the, the passages of Scripture that maybe we don't like to agree with or we don't want to agree with or we don't like them in general, you know? Uh, kind of like the, the loving the people that are being mean to you and all that. And I know for me, like, there was a time as, as I was sort of developing in my theology um, early on, it was— I didn't want to believe that there was hell. You know, I just was like, I don't want that. Like, I don't want to believe in hell. Like, that's, I don't, I don't like the idea of that. And I remember just really, like, starting to dive into and wanting to believe in this whole thing, annihilationism, where if someone doesn't believe in God, then they would just cease to exist at, you know, the judgment point. And I, I remember, though, then digging into the scripture and just feeling really convicted by especially a couple of verses, Revelation 20.10 and Revelation 20.15, and, and seeing that, we don't have time to totally get into all of that, but where I had to re- read that, and I was like, no, that's an ongoing nature. This is something that is going on. And, okay, Lord, I don't want to, but I submit. I submit to that. And I think even with other passages of Scripture that I might not have wanted to agree with at certain points in my life. And, you know, a lot of those are some of those kind of buzz issues in our culture. And some of that is, you know, around like sex before marriage or even homosexuality, right? Like where we would just think like, ah, okay, well, I don't want to be a judgmental person or I don't want to disagree with this. Or when I was in high school, like I didn't want to disagree or I didn't want, you know, sex before marriage to be wrong. (laughs) And so like I had to say, okay, Lord, though, I will submit to your authority, right? I'm going to submit to this, and I'm going to obey your word. And no matter what, right? No matter how I feel about it, or no matter how hard it might be. And so the, the cool thing I feel like that I saw in that for, for my life is that that was also God's best for me, right? That has been God's best for me, that I waited, that, that sort of example, And I think that it's a beautiful thing that even the things that we don't want to do, let's say, God is speaking into because he cares and has what's best for you in mind. Um, And then just as we continue to think about this, though, even some sort of concluding thoughts for us is that the Bible is not just the authority, it's the final authority. I do believe that there are different ways that God can speak to us as we, as we pray and as we listen and even as people that are wise uh, men and women speak into our lives and even, you know, through the church or if that's even through nature and you feel like God is really speaking to you in some way. However, the Bible is the final authority over all those things. If, one, if something contradicts or goes against the scriptures, if some person that you respect and admire says something to you that goes against God's word, that is not the authority then. The Bible brings that final authority. And so we have to recognize that and place God's word in the place that it should be. And if that's all true, if all this is true, all these things they're talking about, of the Bible being trustworthy and the Bible being authoritative, then it has to change the way that we view the world and we view eternity and all of those big questions, but also the way that we react to things. And we have to recognize that the Bible has more authority than, let's say, other writings that would think to be about religious ideas. It has more authority than the Koran or the Book of Mormon. The Bible also, though, has more authority than the U.S. Constitution, right? That if our country goes against God in some way, the Bible is our final authority. The Bible has more authority 
authority than the affirmation or the opinion of your friends or your political party's platform or the Calvary bylaws or whatever that might be. The Bible is that authority in our lives that we say, okay, if we have great division on an issue in our world or even within this room, that we say, Lord, we can come to that point of common ground based on your word, and then even more so based on Jesus. That Jesus is what brings us together, even if we disagree on things, that we come together around Jesus and what his words are and say. And so we have to give the Bible the authority that it deserves and submit to that in our lives and in our relationships. And that's why this whole next series, Common Ground, as we talk about some of these radical concepts and, and issues that are pretty divisive, I would say, even within our church at some level, right? That we can come together and say, Lord, what are these things that we can agree upon around your word and upon who you are? And then we go out and make a difference for the kingdom of God in the world, right? Rather than our opinions in the world. And that's what we want to be about. But I will say this one last point is that the only way for the Bible to have authority in your life is if you read it. Okay? How novel? It's not a novel. It's, no, sorry. Uh, okay. But it's, it, it, the Bible has to have authority in your life, so you got to read it. So spend time in the Word of God. Read it. Immerse yourself in it. Dig into it. Study it. Love it. Just spend time in the Word of God. So that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for us today, that we would be challenged to give God's word that authority in our lives, but spend time in it so that God can speak to each one of us. So we're going to transition then to a time of worshiping God and giving to him. We have the stations that are around the room. We can come and remember the death of Jesus on the cross, that he gave his body and his blood for us as we take uh, part in communion, as we give in the buckets of the stations, even something like giving, offering, that's something that is maybe not something we all want to submit to of the authority of God in, is to, to give of our money, which is a thing that we can most, you know, most often clench the, the most tightly. And so we give to God, and we can receive prayer in this moment, and we can worship God here. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and we say, Lord Jesus, help us to submit to you, God. To surrender to your will above our own will. To know what your heart and will are, God, through your word. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would illuminate the truth within your scripture to us as we read it. May our, our hearts and minds be filled, knowing more of who you are and what your great story is, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.